This is Westfair Business Buzz from Westfair Communications, publisher of the Westchester County Business Journal. I'm Peter Katz, pleased to welcome back photographer John Rizzo with more on the art of photography. John's work has been seen regularly in our own WAG magazine, and his images have graced the covers of Newsweek, the Washington Post Sunday Magazine, the Los Angeles Times Sunday Magazine, and more. He serves commercial and private clients and has photographed everything from family events to unforgettable news stories. Here now is John Rizzo. Hi again, this is John Rizzo. In our last podcast, we talked about shutter speeds, aperture, and ISO, and how you use the three of them together in order to get sharp, clean, controllable images. Today I want to talk to you about shutter speeds and focal length and which shutter speed you need to use depending on what focal length lens you're using. Focal length is the length of the lens. A long lens is typically 200 millimeters, 300 millimeters or greater. And you use those whenever you want to bring something in close, such as wildlife or if you want to do portraits where you're compressing the image or you can't get close to your subject. Those are the best uses for telephoto lenses. Wide-angle lenses also come in different millimeters. A 16 millimeter, a 14 millimeter, those are pretty wide lenses that you would use if you're either in a tight setting where you need to show an entire office and you don't have much room to back up, or if you're doing landscape photography, where you want to show a huge vista, which you wouldn't be able to do with a telephoto lens. So those are the the differences, the wide angles, the telephoto, and then a standard lens, a normal lens, is about 50 millimeters. That's pretty much what your eye sees. Your eye is 50 millimeters. So if you think of it that way, wider gives you more that you can bring into the subject and allows you to work in tight spaces and a longer lens allows you to bring faraway objects up close. In the last podcast we talked about some of the rules of shutter speed and how to avoid camera shake or having blurry photographs just because of the shake that your your hand might have. So to recap that a little bit we agreed that the rule of thumb is not to use anything slower than 1 over 60, 1 60th of a second when you're hand holding a camera. And that's with a normal lens. Now, the rule with other lenses when you get into longer and shorter focal length lenses, let's talk about, for example, a telephoto lens. The rule of thumb is that never to use a shutter speed that's slower than the focal length of the lens. So if you have a 200 millimeter lens, the slowest shutter speed that you should use is 1 over 200, 1 200th of a second. When you're using a shorter focal length lens, like a wide-angle lens, the same rule for hand-holding applies. No slower than 1 over 60 or 1 60th of a second for anything handheld when you're using a wide-angle or shorter focal length lens. To recap, when you have a longer lens, you can't use a shutter speed any slower then the focal length, the maximum focal length of your lens, and if you're using a wide lens, you follow the same rule that you do for hand holding a camera using nothing slower than 1 60th of a second. There are two kinds of lenses, prime lenses and zoom lenses. If you're using a prime lens, 
that means that you have a fixed focal length. You can't change it or zoom in and out. Zoom lenses are different. Their glass configuration is different, which allows you to zoom in and out and use the lens at different focal lengths. A very popular lens is a 70 to 200 millimeter zoom lens, so you can use it at 70 millimeters or anything up to 200 millimeters. So you have the option. And the reason that we like those is that you do not have to move, position yourself closer or farther, you can just move the lens. Uh, the drawback is that those lenses are not as fast. In other words, the aperture opening cannot go as wide as the prime lens can. Prime lenses are typically faster. In other words, the aperture can be opened wider than with a zoom lens, and that's why a lot of photographers like them, especially in low light. You can open that lens up wider than you usually can with a zoom lens. They're also lighter and more compact. A zoom lens has more glass, more elements in it, so it's heavier. Okay, we've talked about shutter speed, aperture, and ISO, and how they all work together to get good, clean, crisp capture. Then we've talked a little bit about what shutter speed you need to use, depending on what focal length lens that you're using. And we've talked about prime lenses versus zoom lenses. Now let's talk a little bit about format. JPEG versus RAW. Which one is better? They're very different. JPEG is a compression format. And what that means is that when you take your picture, a certain percentage of the information, the data, is thrown away automatically. And that's why it's a compression. It's smaller. It takes up less space. It's easier to work with versus the RAW format. JPEG is an 8-bit format and RAW is a 16-bit format. And what that means is that the RAW format captures an incredible amount more of information than a JPEG file does. So why does this matter? The reason that it matters is that the RAW file captures a lot more information in the shadows and the highlights. Now the shadows are the dark areas, the shadow part of the image. So if you've ever worked in the darkroom before, you know what it's like. If you have a well-exposed negative, it's very easy to make a print because there's a good balance between the shadows, the highlights, and all the midtones. Those three areas are what make up a beautiful photograph. When you look at it, it's visually pleasing because there's a beautiful range. I think that's the best way to describe it. The same is also true with the highlights. If you have information in the highlights, in other words, the highlight is the bright area, if those areas are not completely overexposed or blown out, then you can have that information in your print. Uh, like, for example, if you were looking at some bright clouds and everything was so bright that you couldn't differentiate between them, that would not be as pleasing as if you looked at a group of clouds and you could see the range of, of different color and light going through them. The way that I like to describe the JPEG format is in lines or sections. For example, a JPEG image captures 256 lines or sections. A raw image captures over 65,000. So there's really no comparison. The amount of information in a raw file is so much greater. A raw file takes up a lot more space than a JPEG file. And that's one of the drawbacks. You have to have the card space 
and you also have to have the hard drive space when you're going to copy these files. Most digital cameras will give you the option of shooting both a JPEG and a RAW file at the same time. So if you want the flexibility of having the smaller file to work with, but you also want to retain a beautiful digital negative with much more information in it, you can set your camera to that. The one thing you have to remember though is that it, it will take a little bit longer for the camera to read and write both JPEG and RAW format at the same time, but it can be done. You've probably seen the WB initials on your camera back. That stands for white balance. And white balance can be set on your camera to match whatever it is that you're shooting. If it's nighttime photography, that would be tungsten. If it's daytime photography, that would be daylight. If it's indoors, under fluorescent light, that would be the fluorescent setting. The three most common settings that you're going to use are daylight, tungsten, and fluorescent, although there are many more than that. If you want to do some creative things with color, you can set the white balance to whatever you want it to be. In the film days, we had to purchase film that was made for either daylight or tungsten settings because it wasn't possible to set it on your camera. The goal of white balance settings is to get the most accurate and cleanest whites in your image and to eliminate color casts. White balance is measured in degrees Kelvin and Kelvin is the temperature of light. Lord Kelvin was a Scottish physicist and mathematician who developed the Kelvin scale of temperature measurement. 5500 degrees Kelvin is what you would use for daylight situations. 3200 degrees Kelvin is for tungsten lighting. That would be anything in the evening. And 4000 Kelvin would be for fluorescent settings. The lower temperatures are very warm and following the color spectrum they increase in numeric value as they become cooler. Auto white balance is an option on your cameras too but I wouldn't recommend using it because anything entering your frame while you're shooting can cause the color to shift. Yes, you can change the white balance in software in post-production, but as we've talked about before, it's much better to get your capture as clean as possible to eliminate the need for lots of hours spent editing and fixing images. So let's do a shoot. So let's go outside and shoot a portrait. The first thing we want to do is we want to find good light. We want even good light on a face so that the skin tones will look good and there won't be any distractions on the face. Time of day is something that's very important. Now we've talked about Kelvin and color temperature and how it changes the color of light. The best time of day to shoot is either early in the morning or late in the afternoon, sunrise and sunset. Sunrise will give you a clean yellow light, nice warm tone, where sunset will give you more of an orange, a deeper orange tone. These are the best times of days to shoot because not only does the light have direction because it's low in the horizon, but it also has color. So it gives you color and shape, two very important things. The worst time of day to shoot is midday, noon, one o'clock, two o'clock. And that's because the sun is very high in the sky. If it's a cloudless day, you're going to have a harsh light coming down on your face and creating deep shadows. If it's a cloudy day, 
you'll have soft flat light. We call that flat because there's not much shape to it. You can still shoot in that kind of light, but there's no color in that light and there's very little shape. Sometimes you have no choice. That's what you have to do. That kind of light is the easiest to work in because it's very broad. It's like a huge softbox. What happens is the sun is shining through the clouds and the clouds are softening the light so you have this enormous broad soft source which is very easy to work with. But if I had my choice I would not pick that because I want color and shape. Even if I'm shooting a group I still want to use the color and the shape to my advantage to make the photo more dynamic. We've picked the time of day, we have a subject, we're working on a portrait. What lens do we use? We talked about focal length and which are best for portraits. A lot of people like to use 70 millimeters, sometimes longer. My personal preference is 200 millimeters. I like a long lens because it compresses the image and it allows me to control the depth of field. It allows me to throw things out of focus. I'll use the f-stop or the aperture that'll give me enough focus to keep my subject's face, the ears in focus, however much I want to be in focus. And I like the fact that the long lens gives me those kind of creative controls relatively easily. If I used a wide angle, I wouldn't be able to do that as easily. And we talked about that because there's greater depth of field with a wide angle lens. When you're working with the subject, Pay attention to backgrounds. You don't want things that are sticking out of your subject's head. And try and find a background that might complement what you're doing. Uh, pick something that works with the skin tone that you're working with. Something that might complement the clothing that the person's wearing. All of these things are very important. Also, when you have the subject very close to the background, chances are that background is going to be in focus. So if you want to separate the subject, isolate them from the background, pay attention to moving them away from the background to get the look that you want. Again, digital cameras really give you the opportunity to be the creative director and art director because you can just look at the camera back and see what's working and what isn't working. Don't be afraid also to try different focal length lenses. If you're working with 200 and you find you're not getting what you want, try something shorter. Try 70 millimeters or try, try a 135 millimeters, something like that. We've covered a lot of ground here and gone over a lot of different things. Don't be overwhelmed. All of these things are relatively simple if you take it slowly and break them down. I've given you a lot of tips in the hopes that you'll retain a few of these things and they can become a part of your, your everyday actions whenever you're picking up your camera. But don't try and absorb all of this at once. Work on the portrait situation that we've discussed here or the still life option that we discussed in the first podcast. Keep it very simple. Find out what works. All of these things are going to help you get much better images when you understand not just the mechanics but also how to work with the subject, what the subject expects from you. And this can be a lot of fun too. What you'll find is that when the subject sees that you have the confidence to make decisions and those decisions turn out to be beautiful photographs, they're going to really trust you and that is the way that you can build confidence in yourself to do this every time you work with someone. 
and also a good way for people to learn that you can take beautiful photographs consistently and help you build a little business if you're interested in that. Thanks for listening again. There's a lot more to tell you about, and I look forward to working with you more. Thank you. Join us again for Westfair Business Buzz. 